Hello, Mr. Spears. Hello, Mr. Simon. Very nice to speak with you. Always a pleasure, sir. Yes, I see Big Monday is being used again by ESPN, even though... What the big, hell, man? Their Big Monday isn't that big anymore. But, I didn't um, even know uh, college basketball was playing, so... Welcome to the Big Monday <laughs> show. It's it's not playing very much. <laughs> Teams no. with nine, eight, nine wins are, like, heading to the... Tourney. March Tourney Madness. Madness. <laughs> just, just seems like it just started, but... <laughs> Incredible. We're heading to our own version of March Madness. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We're facing February Madness. We've had some madness. Oakland's track still seems to be relatively frozen. (laughs) Understatement. (laughs) Tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. Central, they are calling for the track to be opened. Whether that'll happen or not, I don't know. Uh, Certainly rooting for it to happen. Uh, Those guys got to be kind of totally nuts by now um it's gonna be two weeks this thursday i think since the last time they trained um it's really kind of put a huge uh, dent in the arkansas derby trail and that you have you know the the southwest pushed right up two weeks before the rebel um so the odds of seeing uh the winners from the Southwest, uh, the, the actually the, you know, the contenders from the Southwest generally show back up in the Rebel, but this year, that seems like it's it's probably not going to happen. Yeah, that that's, yeah, it's all messed up, man. It's just a horrible timing, you know. After coming off of, you know, what they were the beneficiary of, the COVID thing last year. And then coming into this year with more high hopes and things, and it just got stunted mid <laughs> midstream. Yeah, I mean, even so, even if there is training tomorrow, uh, I mean, with so many of those horses haven't done hardly anything at all, maybe jog a little in the shed row or something uh, to that um, extent. I don't know. Uh, just you know, from having trained in the winter before, it's the most difficult thing is when your training is interrupted for any period of time, you kind of lose track of where your horses are fitness-wise. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. obviously some horses will, uh, you know, don't require as much training as other horses do. Some horses <clears throat> probably, you know, some of them, the, the little break probably did a little, you know, some good, but... Uh, but it is difficult because, uh, you know, if you're going to try to race this weekend, um, it just makes it it just makes it hard. And I mean, we talked about this a lot last week, but, uh, you know, kind of hoping that they would have already been open. But um, I mean, the track when they showed the pictures of it, uh, it, it looked like a gross, like like a brown mush, nasty. And, and, you know, they're they're so hamstrung. Uh, the track maintenance crews there just don't have the ability to use some of the other tools that you could use in other jurisdictions where you could use, um, you know, chemicals that would, would help melt the, uh, the ice and, and, you know, allow you to, to work with the track a little bit. They, they're not allowed to use them because of their location as a, in a national park. So 
So it's just kind of a, a an unfortunate uh, turn of events, but it, it seems like they're going to be able to at least get some of the races run at, at this weekend. I, I don't know about Thursday or even Friday. I really don't know if they're going to get those cards in or not, but, um, you know, it's uh, winter does weird things. So polar vortex is what they call it, right? Yeah. I know some people are bipolar vortex. Oh man. Just open up your Twitter feed. You know, sometimes racing Twitter can be a place where don't get me wrong, it, it it's it's a lot of fun most of the time. Some people can go a little bit overboard once in a while and there's always some stupid arguments about, you know, Stupid stuff. Stupid stuff. <laughs> but Saturday, and and Barry, you are you are my witness, and I have been I have been ragging on Channel Maker as champion turf horse for months, and not as bad as Tacticus, but he didn't win any awards. <laughs> but um. You know, I put something on, on Twitter on Saturday um, after Channel Maker lost, again, like he's done 31 of his 38 career starts. And <laughs> it's not like he ran terrible or anything. And the horse who beat him, I guess, you know, she's all right. I mean, she's not like a 10 claim or something. It's not like it was a tragic occurrence, but. It's just another horse that, like, it's another loss for the horse. And, I mean, and, of course, someone had to pipe in, and, oh, it's a bad take. First of all, like, what kind of, what do you mean it's a take? Because I, I said, uh, you know, Channel Maker should, re- should, should give back his, his, his champion a clipboard, right? Like, he has it in his stall. <laughs> Maybe he does possible listen you got a shelf runs like he's carrying it the last 16th of a mile well i mean honestly he ran the way he's always run on brand i mean even the even the finish was just you know he's second place a lot a lot a lot and it doesn't mean he's a bad horse and you know the oh well yeah you know people start debating the merits of the the, the eclipse award last year that's not i don't want to debate the eclipse awards i don't care about the eclipse awards the eclipse awards are stupid nowadays they're <laughs> stupid you're giving it to horses who have two wins don't give it at all can they do that just be like no, no we're not going to give one because nobody's is, worthy i i mean I, i'm not even i mean even <clears throat> then i'm being facetious it's just the point is that it's like not you know everyone doesn't have to be so serious all the time and when you don't get the joke don't keep on like grinding it out like oh geez well you know the horse is totally deserving of the horse the horse won two freaking races last year out of eight had zero second place finishes and and listen and, and then the funny thing is everybody says well the turf division was really weak yes and this horse won two out of eight against those bums <laughs> yeah we all want to own bums like that but we're not talking about uh, Chuck and Barry's stable. We're talking about in the terms of a historical significance of the, of an award. That's that's what awards are about. MVPs, 
things of those nature. You use those as as the best of the best, right? Right, benchmarks. And the whole the whole point is, it, it turf racing. I mean, and then the funny thing was when I said, "Well, he's the worst turf champion." Then people started tossing out other turf champions that <laughs> had shady credentials. Like um, Stormy Liberal came up. I saw that Stormy Liberal and the uh, Miesk's approval and this one and that one. And they're all within the last few years. If it wasn't for bricks and mortars and, and bricks and mortars beat up on a, a bunch of second raiders. And thankfully they were able to get him back to the races after a long, long layoff. And I mean, he wound up being horse of the year. That's how that's a week. The older horses were that year. Not that his, his his accomplishments, I think we went on five grade ones. He won the Pegasus Turf, the Arlington Million, the Breeders' Cup. I mean, yeah, the horse is a really good horse, and, and he did a lot. So we're not, not, I'm not trying to denigrate him at all. He's he's a deserving horse, deserving champion. But, but comparatively, you compare the two, they're not even in the same category. The horse is in his sixth campaign. And yeah, hey, durable. he's durable. He's his 38th start. He's averaging like one win a campaign. He said he has five graded stake wins. He's seven. John Henry had five graded stake wins in a summer. And no, he's not John Henry. He's not. He's not. He's he's not Henry Johnson. I mean, but it's just that you know everyone's got to be so serious about it. Like the horse is not. A, a, like if you ranked all the turf champions in the 50 years or, the, or so they've done the thing, he's probably 49th or 48th. So it's not wrong that he sucks. He just isn't a great horse. But, you know, this constant barrage of, oh, you know, everybody's got to be smarter than the next guy, blah, 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 blah. Come yeah, on, I, I mean, man. you know, like you said, it's, it's like the MVP. You, you compare those kind of things to others. I mean, what what other benchmarks are there? And on that scale, he was not very good. No, he's just he's just. I mean, that's a, just a fact. I and mean, and nobody would debate the, that. And I don't have a, a backup for him to say, well, we should have voted this one or that one. I'm not in anyone else's camp either, <laughs> especially especially Order of Australia, since I left him off the ticket by mistake because I forgot he drew in that like a moron. That still hurts. Not smart. I'm stupid. But and, and and I'll give you my 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 handicapping theory for that race. Remember, I even told you. I said I'm boxing <laughs> the Europeans. The American horses are a disgrace, and I'm not using any of them. And and I forgot the horse drew in. And <laughs> ouch. <laughs> you know, but the rest is history. <laughs> yeah, it was it was just. Uh, um, I I just sometimes I I just wonder like. Sometimes people just have to be, I mean, it isn't a big deal, really. I just thought it was funny that like everyone started like, you know, like trying to compare his credentials. He has no credentials. He won two grade one races last year. He finished third in the Breeders' Cup because he didn't get, you know, he, he didn't finish back in the pack like uh, United Airlines or whatever that horse was from California or, who, you know, whoever else was touted uh, from the U.S., none of which ran a step. And, yeah, it, it's not like. I'm a genius for, for pointing out that uh, American turf horses aren't very good, but they haven't been very good in a long time, it seems like. And the older horses, I mean, let's face it. Some of the older horses that quote-unquote stepped their game up this year, it was more of they just kind of survived, you know? 
Right. <laughs> By attrition. <laughs> right. They were just still around and there wasn't really anybody else. And the three-year-olds outside of Authentic, you know, kept, I mean, think about it. it, it going into the Derby, the two big three-year-olds, the three, excuse me, the three big three-year-olds were uh, Tis the Law, Authentic, and uh, Tommy Drury's horse, who I can't remember the name of. And they were the three art big collector. horses. Right? Art collector, right? And our collector, you know, unfortunately missed the Derby, but then didn't show up like at all in his next couple for the of rest of the year, <laughs> right? And Tis the Law, you know, got beat in the Derby and then kind of didn't show up much in the Breeders' Cup, regardless of what you think about the race. It wasn't like he got beat a neck. Um, you know, Authentic certainly showed that he was a pretty good horse, but I mean, they're all gone. I guess our collector's coming back at some point, but uh, I mean, he didn't exactly you know, shine his last couple. And, um, you know, like, I guess we'll talk about the, uh, the Saudi cup. And I mean, I thought charlatan ran well, ran phenomenal to be honest. (laughs) It's kind of annoying that, they can't show the race in, in at least a semi-normal manner. And they have to have, I think someone put today that the, there was 11 different cuts during the race, um, you know, wow. which is excessive. It's just excessive. And, you know, the timing, <laughs> there, there's, I guess they don't really have fractions. So it's kind of hard to, to, I guess Craig even that said it, it was, in his opinion, impossible to even get a, a valid time off of the video because of, you know, they kept switching around and it's hard to see where the poles were. And um, so, you know, you're just guessing how fast the fractions were. They were going but, quick. I, I I mean, it looked, and, uh, again, this is just visually, they looked like they were going pretty quick. I mean, it did. He beat uh, Nick's go out of the gate and, and just flat out outran him. So it's gotta be that that's gotta count for something. I would think true when he was coming off of a seven for long <laughs> race where there was an extremely fast pace. So it's I mean that was his first race off a layoff. So first race stretching out kind of a long run. Um the fact that he showed speed was expected, I guess I guess like if you looked at the race tactically, you would think, well, maybe he'll let Nick's go, go from the inside and sit right off of him. But like I said, he's coming out of sprints and he broke real sharp. And uh, I mean, I don't hate what, what Mike Smith did. I thought that, uh, I mean, I, I wouldn't have wrestled him back either. And, you know, going into the race, I mean, listen, everybody can say that they like the European horse, but I saw one person that really, said they they liked them and i think mike smith probably thought as probably well as baffert despite whatever he's saying now that the horse to beat was nick's go and that's how he rode him yeah and the, the fact is that it took a little more starch out of him and we don't even know if the horse is really gonna be i mean one of the things that we wind up doing nowadays is projecting onto horses it's not, though, the horse has proven that he's done this or done that. He hasn't really proven anything. He's never even raced against older horses until the, this is his first race against older horses. So, 
I mean, he's run three times now in, in a year. And one was seven ace, and one was way, way, way back a year ago. And, and, and we have this race. And, and yes, he's a good horse and all that. But I think people are too willing to just project and say, well, this is what he is. Bill Finley said something like it reminded him of Seattle slew in the Gold Cup. And I'm Whoa. thinking to myself, wait, like, wait, wait, wait a minute. Like, what? What? I mean, that's like. Uh, that's a know, stretch, bro. Yeah, he, he reminded me more of Slough City Slough than Slough, Seattle <laughs> Slough. City Slough. Yeah, come on now. I mean, come on. Like, time form gave him like 131 or 129. But the time forms overseas, is, uh, their numbers are, I don't know what it is. I don't know. I don't mean to sound so curmudgeonly tonight, but like, come on. Yeah, yeah, that's that's precisely it. Like, come on, man, <laughs> come on. Oh, t- Tactitus didn't run good. Oh my god, I couldn't see. I, I couldn't believe how many people were touting that horse. Like, I just don't. How how could you those. ever in in your right mind think that that horse could win that race, especially around one turn? Right. <laughs> I mean, he was all out to win at Belmont against way, way lesser competition. And he, he actually got it done that day. But, I mean, man, there, there's no way. I was, like, amazed at the money he was taking. Like, how could you think that horse could win? I mean, he looks the part, for sure. He's a beautiful horse, but, Lord, he can't run. Not at that level, anyway. No, he's a clunker, you know. He, he you know, he really is. He, he really is just a plug. Right. He has no turn of foot and, at all. The thing, the thing about racing in in, in twenty twenty one is they don't really have any plotter type races. No, I mean we really don't have those type races. Well, anymore. that's why he won the race. His last race that he's won, that's why he won it. He plotted along. Like what? He had a little bit more fitness <laughs> and just. Barely won. Didn't they turn the Brooklyn into like a mile and a half race when they had the Breeders' Cup Marathon? Oh, yeah. Which was another pointless race because... Uh, it was you know, never graded, was, was it? That was never No, no. And it never should have been. I mean, at the, at the end, it was a joke. They were sending over starter horses from Europe. <laughs> you know, they were sending horses over that were running at Lingfield. And, like, you know, it was it was just, just the, 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 the second-level stairs. And it was the championship... Race for a division that doesn't exist. We don't even have those kind of races, like a Greenwood Mile Cup or whatever. And you know, they tossed a couple here and there at Belmont. But I mean, it's just it's it's, it's a division that doesn't exist. I remember talking to Steve Haskin about this 15 years ago on on Big Show and saying that like if the Breeders' Cup wants to have a marathon, that's great. But what they should do is seed have others um, the pur- <laughs> the purses for maiden races and for allowance races and and, and try to create. Uh, a division for these, but because it's supposed to be a championship event, but you, you have to have a division in order to have a championship, right? It's just, it was just kind of a, a race that was thrown on there and people kept telling me, Oh, well, it'll, 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 uh, uh, it'll help the breed. I'm like, come on with the breed already. <laughs> number one, most of them horses are geldings. And number two, nobody's breeding to those horses. Not in this country. No, <laughs> 
it's just practicality. You got to just kind of keep it real and say, look, there's no division here. We're going to have seven I'm horses, not a, I'm not, you know, in every race that they have, the same seven. I'm not a geneticist or anything, but I can tell you this. Just running long races is not going to affect the breed. You just run like a series of, of, of four or five or six races going long. It's not going to make people say, well, I've been trying to breed Kentucky Derby winners. I've been trying to breed horses that, that'll be real fast that we can sell, but you know what? Shit, I'm going to go for the Breeders' Cup Marathon. Let me see if I can breed, you know, some plotters. Well, it was like, you know, I got into a, a small debate on Twitter about, you know, uh, World of Trouble. And, you know, I was like, well, why would you, why would anybody want to breed to that horse? Not that he's a bad horse or anything like that, but what are you going to do with him? Yeah, if you're looking for a five for a long right. turf horse. It's like, well, yeah. But there's no money in that. Nope. I mean, you see all those races, even the stake races they run at Gulfstream aren't really worth all that much at the no, the sprints. Just the, the, I mean, the, the the stakes at Gulfstream, and people may not like this, but the the money there is just not good enough anymore. And they they really are gonna. As a matter of fact, I'm kind of doing a little project about that, and that. Money is, is increasing everywhere except one place, one major track. And these these seventy five and hundred thousand dollar stakes, a hundred thousand dollar stake now. They're not even getting big fields. What they have last week uh, in the sprint stake at Goldstone, like six and four of them scratched to run at Tampa. That was oh, the no, third that was race. The third one. Sprint that I think there was yeah, it was six. six. There, it six. was six. And then uh, Tampa's trying to run. I think they're running Wednesday. Are they running Wednesday or Thursday? They're the running Lightning the City, state. right? They post- yeah, they postponed it a couple of times because of weather. Which is something I've originally hated when they did that. Because I, I always thought that it was kind of unfair for the guys that had horses that could do both. Or a horse that liked soft turf. But I get a. I do understand why they do it. They want to have better integrity, not not integrity, but uh, they want to keep the integrity of right. the race from a, a field size standpoint. Not not like you know, guys are going to hold horse or anything. <laughs> and you know, they might be trying to get a grade too in that race too. So if you're trying to get a graded race off the turf. Race is not going to. It's going to set you back. But um. There's so many things in this business that just that just bother me these days because um, I, I know like people have called for a commissioner and it's just a, it's just a dumb idea. It's a great idea, but it's just dumb because it's it's totally impractical and just no way of doing it. Um, but like, who really is paying attention to the issues? Um, like tracks running stakes against each other and um, you know, cutting it. So, so you have two tracks that have the similar stakes a week apart or same day or same weekend. And so instead of getting one good race, you get two mediocre races and more short fields and more odds on favorites. And there just seems like the, the one thing that the originally it was like 1973 or 74. 
we started grading races. It was it was graded uh, before that races weren't graded in this country. And one of the reasons they did it was it was called it used to be called the pattern races in Europe. And it was a schedule of, of races that made some sort of some semblance of sense where a race would feed into a race and feed into a race and feed into a race. So it wasn't just this hodgepodge of races. And I think they've gotten away with uh, away from it a little bit as well. But like what we have now is the same thing. It's just a hodgepodge of races. And some of the grades don't make sense anymore. Some of the placement of the races don't make sense. And that's kind of a, an easy thing. I mean, these are like we've talked about before. Champagne problem, you know, <laughs> like. Um, but. Um, it's just kind of annoying. I guess. Well, I mean, the only ones that kind of do that are really the, the three year old dirt races. You know, yeah. And but... you've got so many horses that are looking to get on the derby trail that for the most part. You know, once you get by that first row, you know, the first round in January, early January, those 10 point races that didn't have a big fields. Once you get past those, you have a lot of horses. The guys are going to take shots. Plus, the money is really good in some of those races. I mean, you're taking a shot and in, in it's a lot easier to take a shot in a four or five, six hundred thousand dollar race than it is in a hundred thousand dollar race. Well, it, and it's because of tradition. It's not really for anything else. And it's 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 just kind of mind boggling to me that they don't have something connecting other races, other bigger races. I mean, they kind of do with the the Breeders' Cup a little bit, but not enough. It's not pronounced enough to to really be called like those pattern races he spoke about. Um, but it, it it's it's worthwhile. I mean, it gives the fans something to look forward to. Like, oh yeah, you know, like today uh, I saw a thing. Um, with TVG, where they they showed the, you know, pretty much the the Derby Trail for the next couple months on the East Coast, and you know you had the the races at Tampa and and uh, and Gulfstream, you know, for the next month in the Oakland races, and you know it, it's good, it's something to look forward to, um, but that's the only thing that does that. No, there's nothing else connecting anything else. No. Well, it's interesting you say that because Naira stole our idea. <laughs> they kind of stole it a little bit. But, um, you know, they, they announced this week that they're going to have the um, the Chad Brown Turf Triple Series for Phillies. On, oh, I didn't actually mean that. Yes, you did. Sorry, Chad. I'm telling you. <laughs> Chad, is, Chad is by far the most likely beneficiary of this, but... It's it's an idea of of tying races together, offering bonuses, incentives for the owners, for the trainers, and uh, it, it makes sense. And and this is the type of of thinking that we need more of. Um, and yeah, Naira's got a lot of extra money because of of their alternate gaming and 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 such. But still, it's a matter of putting the money to use. Um, and I don't know if they're actually these are just going to come out of their stake funds or per overnight count or uh if they're insuring them and, and, and they're just you know um i'm not sure it, it doesn't really say but um they're going to have a the new york stakes turf bonus provide three hundred fifteen thousand dollars to the owner and thirty thousand to the trainer of any previous winner of the belmont oaks saratoga oaks or jockey club oaks who captures the 2021 edition of the 
to great to $750,000 New York, uh, which is a, a mile and a quarter race at Belmont on June 4th. Um, and it also has the Flower Bowl bonus for, for horses that won those races that, that won Flower Bowl. So, I mean, that's kind of like the, 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 you're giving people incentive to keep better horses in training. And yeah, a lot of those fillies are going to be in training until, you know, they're, they're sold as broodmares or, or, or bred, but, and, and yes, uh, fillies are more likely to, to, to return because, you know, they can have one full where a stallion can be a big ATM, but that's the type of, of logic I think that, that needs to be done uh, in a lot of different ways. And, and I mean, we've talked about it a lot of times, that I, I really still truly believe that there should be some sort of um, Breeders' Cup incentives where you, you had a kind of a road to the Breeders' Cup, not just this, uh, you know, kind of a patchwork win and you're in, you win this race, you're in. Like, I think the, the race in Japan the other day um, that the American Pharaoh horse won was a Breeders' Cup win. And yeah, it was. Race and yep. race in, it's a race in, uh, in, um, in February, <laughs> you know, like, I mean, the Japanese are starting to come over a little bit, at least the one trainer is, but, um, and it'd be great. Listen, I mean, I, I'm all for having more international competition um, because more that's, horses. that's interesting. <laughs> more, more horses. Yeah, more horses, more people watching our races and, you know, see, see great horses from, from overseas. Uh, I think that's, that's like one of the things that um, sometimes we miss over here especially from the Japanese standpoint, because I mean, they race at, at different times and uh, I mean, most everything is in Japanese. So it's, it's, it's a little bit more difficult to follow. Like Hong Kong is, is, is easy to follow. The, the website is, is has, you know, there's an, uh, a Chinese language and an English um, language website and uh, all of the coverage that we get is in English. So, um, you know, the announcers in English, it's, it's, it's the, the pre-race, post-race analyzation is all uh, um, in English. So it's, it's a lot easier for us to digest. I think there was a Breeders' Cup or a, a Derby prep this weekend, too, to be honest with you, in Japan. But well, maybe that was the one he won, the Cafe Pharaoh horse. No, that that was uh, that was I think the other. I think the American Pharaoh was four, but yeah, we we decided not that uh, at the Going in Circles podcast network, we made the editorial decision not to cover foreign derby preps because they're not born any fruit, <laughs> meaning probably not gonna. Their horses are are unlikely to show up here. So, what's the point? Um, I mean, honestly, here we are a week before March. And the Derby picture is, is very, very murky. And I mean, who would you just, I know that uh, life is good and essential quality are, are kind of co-favorites right now, but they're not exactly strong favorites. I mean, the one horse hasn't run since November and it's now looking at only two preps this year. Um, life is good has run one time this year. Um, Shug's horse, I mean, Shug's horse got to be up there. Good. Right? Shug's, uh, yeah, I mean, he, he's he's the greatest honor is going to be racing this weekend. 
at Gulfstream. Um, I see I see Safi Joseph's going to run the sprinter at Gulfstream, which is which is probably the right move. I mean, he could ship him to New York next week and run him in the Gotham around one turn. But I think if you're going to um, if you're going to um, if you're going to you know figure out if you want to be on the, the bandwagon or not, uh, it's probably best to do it now and see if your horse can at least get the mile and a 16th on the short stretch. Because if he can't get that, then he's not getting them on the quarter, period. Yeah. Uh, you know, so it's do or die. So it's, probably, it's probably the right move. And, you know, it's over the track he's been racing at. I mean, it's 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 probably the right move. And I don't know that he's going to be able to, to win. But, I, I you know, we got to see the entries and, and see what the pace looks like. And prevalence oh, uh, man. has a fever. So, so despite the, 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 the quote from the racing manager that, um, you know, He's, that doesn't eliminate him from Derby picture. It kind of eliminated him. Right, there's no points Derby left. Picture. I mean, he he's got to be he's got to be a winner, <laughs> more or less. It's not even that. It's not it's not it's not even the points, Barry. It's a horse that's got one, one start, start yeah. at seven ace, getting into March. I mean, the Derby's a mile and a quarter. Yeah, it's a mile and a quarter. You got to have some some um, foundation, and yeah, I guess if no one has any foundation, <laughs> <laughs> except maybe like. A couple of horses, you know, it, it's it's less of a, a deal, a big deal. But I mean, man, the horse got and one he got a step and... back, so it's like, where, yeah, what, yeah. What, he's there's no way he's gonna make it. And, I mean, the horses look great when he we, we, he he went by us. He was moving so fast, hard to keep up. But um, I mean, he does have a, a lot of sprint influences in his pedigree, so it's not as though. You know, his pedigree is screaming a mile and a quarter. And now that he's not even able to get in races, um, I, I'm, I don't know. I mean, I don't, we don't know if he spiked the fever and, it, and they treated him and it went right away. It might have been one little thing if he had it a couple of days. I mean, we don't really know the details. So I don't know if this means he's going to maybe try the Tampa Bay Derby next week, if he's even nominated, or um, maybe they'll try the Gotham next week. Again, if he's even nominated and then, uh, I, I don't even, you know, I don't, I don't know what they would do, but it'd be really hard to believe that he could run in the Derby in his third lifetime race. So, well, that's that seems like that's kind of like the only way they can do it. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't, I don't really know what the, and like you said, the points obviously do matter. And I guess again, if he wasn't first or second, I, I don't think they would go on anyways. But, um, I mean, like only uh, Mandaloon, Mandaloon. Mandaloon, he's the only horse that's really guaranteed to be in the Kentucky Derby at this point right now. I mean, he's the only horse that's got more than, I think 41 points has been the uh, the cutoff the last few years. So Yeah, he's pretty safe. No horse with less than 41. So he, he looks like he's good. But uh, everybody else is... Uh, it's a little bit uh, dicey. I mean, a bad step, a misstep, a, a bad trip or, or something like, you know, transportation gets screwed up or it, there's just it's, it's going to be really dicey. And I think the Southwest really makes it makes it interesting because you've taken I think you've taken Jackie's Warrior and I think you've taken Essential Quality and, and uh, the the, the, the Deodoro horse, I think you've taken them all out of the rebel. So 
you know, maybe they'll go bluegrass. I, I don't know. I, I really don't know. It, it's, it's, I, I guess, obviously, like maybe we're thinking too far ahead. You know, they haven't <laughs> run the race yet. We don't if know if they're going to run Saturday at Oakland. So, <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> up to wait till, you know, before we start picking our races for them next time, they, we got to actually get this one in. Um, but it's it's really uh, I mean it's setting up to be potentially a wild derby. Like what if what if I'm right and Jackie's Warrior wires the field in this race, and all of a sudden Essential Quality finishes third, and Life is Good runs out in California and gets beat, finishes second. <laughs> all of a sudden you've got total chaos, right? It, especially if Shug's Horse gets beat um, in the Fountain of Youth. And it's not as though any of those things happening are like, like, hundred to one shots. I mean, you could easily all see all those horses. <laughs> so, you know, where where do you go? I mean, it's just kind of nuts. that's okay. I like that though. I, I I can deal with that. You like I the, love chaos? the chaos, the chaos especially is, you know, uh, riding into the Derby. I mean, you're gonna get twenty horses in there. And as it stands on, what, February 22nd, nobody's really brought themselves to the head of the class yet. So that means it's probably going to stay, you know, with the kind of parody that's been going on. Hopefully it does. And then we'll have a free-for-all on on Derby Day. That's what I want to see. Like this year, you know, people didn't know what to do with Authentic. Am I, uh, listen, this, this might, I'm going to ask you your opinion and, and not, we haven't talked Uh-oh. about this at all, but am I, am I stupid thinking that Mike McCarthy's horse has got a shot? No. Ron Boer. I don't know why, but I kind of like that horse. I like the fact he ran a really good number last year at Santa Anita in the fall. Then the Breeders' Cup, he got totally lost. He just like, he had an impossible trip. And he, he comes back and he grinds it out. It was kind of a tough race. And I like horses that have tough races. I'm not, I think people buy way too much into looking um, good and winning, you know, easy races, right. easy, easy. I mean, I, I think when you're talking about the Derby in particular, that you need to, um, you need to remember that, the horses need bottom. They need to. They need to be dead fit. You cannot win the Kentucky Derby unless you're dead fit. You can win a lot of races, um, not necessarily great stakes, but you can win a lot of races. Not a hundred percent. Not a hundred percent dead fit. You can win if you're just a better horse. A lot of times, you might be able to just beat the the other horses because you're a better horse. But um, the the Derby is a different animal, and it's a mile and a quarter. And not only is it a mile and a quarter, it's a mile and a quarter in a pressure-packed atmosphere. Um, the people feel it. The horses feel it. The, uh, the the amount of people on the backside that week, the amount of people in the grandstand, the the long wait between um, between races, it's it's definitely different than. A regular race and i think that's another part of it too is, is that you know not only do you have to be physically ready you have to be mentally ready um 
And it's so funny. Alan Jerkis used to hate that when people said that. <laughs> what does that mean? He goes, what does that mean mentally ready? I don't understand that mentally ready. But I, I do understand it from the point of like, you can't, you don't want your horse to lose the race before it even gets in the gate. And, and I don't know what the Derby is going to look like this year. I don't know that anyone really knows at this point, how many people they're going to allow, uh, what the situation is going to be, if there's going to be an infield, if you know, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's honestly, it's been very quiet. I mean, has, has, has anyone even like, has Churchill said anything about that yet? Nope. I haven't seen anything. Yeah. It's kind of oddly quiet because we're like, uh, what, 70 days away. And I don't really know what the, I don't know that they know. I think they're probably waiting as long as I can, hoping things continue to get better and clear up. Um, and as other, other areas are starting to open up ven- venues. I mean, uh, even New York, the Knicks and the Nets are, are letting, I think, 2,000 people in the games. And it just seems like, you know, slowly but surely, um, those kind of, those kind of venues are, are allowing, you know, people. And of course, Churchill Downs is a, is a lot different than a basketball stadium or even a football outside. stadium. Outside, people, <laughs> yeah, people appear outside, and you're so spread out. Everything is so spread out. And, um, but it, it, it's definitely a factor, and that's that's part of the, you know, part of the, the the difficulty in winning the Kentucky Derby. That's why the Kentucky Derby is it's more than just. Uh, you know, a horse race. It's 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 a special race. It's a unique race, and um, the fact that guys are trying to go in this with so little, um, so little seasoning, and so few uh, racing miles. It's uh, it, it's a challenge. It really is a challenge. I think to to try to come up and and figure out who's going to be able to to. Uh, you know, to, to to still be able to get that mile and a quarter under those circumstances, and who's and who's going to wilt and who's going to fall falter. It's it just seems so counterintuitive. I mean, you know, obviously I'm not a trainer for obvious reasons, but you know, when you, when you're playing basketball and you're trying to get in the game shape, quote unquote, you play, <laughs> and it's it just seems to me that if if horses are racing, three year olds are racing they get into shape. I, I just don't understand the, the, the idea of working a horse into a mile and a quarter race. It, it doesn't make any sense to me. Believe me, if, if horses these days, the way they're trained, were, were running 25 years ago, they would probably lose against the horses that were trained harder. Um, but the thing is, now they're not. They're not racing against horses. They're, they're, they're all racing against horses who are trained in a similar fashion. So uh, it, it's probably one of the reasons Baffert does well. I mean, not just that. I mean, he's got good horses, and he, he obviously knows what he's doing, uh, despite all the other rhetoric about him, true or untrue. He, he, he certainly knows how to train a racehorse. But Baffert trains hard, and his horses work hard. They work long, and they work hard. And... Yes, he has the benefit of uh, if he breaks down every single horse in his barn, he's still going to have 80, 90, 100 horses next year. He, he's not, you know, having to worry about uh, keeping them together, patching them up, blah, blah, blah. So he's training them hard. And I think that 
gives them an advantage in a lot of ways in that um, a lot of other guys don't train hard and they do a lot of half miles in 48 and 49 and they're leaving a lot in the tank but sometimes I don't know that they have their horse quite as dead fit as, as Baffert's horses. And I think that that's, you know, a, 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 a benefit of his training style. And uh, the West Coast guys generally train the horses a little bit harder and a little bit longer. And the tracks have changed. I mean, it wasn't unusual 20 years ago to see horses out at Santa Anita, Delmar working three quarters and ten before they raced in a maiden race. And in the East Coast, if you saw a horse work three quarters and ten, they better be like Risen Star or, <laughs> or some grade one horse. People would thought you're you know, you've lost your you've been nuts because of the way the tracks were. But the track especially at Santa Anita is slow now. And they're still training them pretty hard. So those horses, I mean the one thing you can say a lot of things about Baffert, and I know people don't like him, but that's you know, I'm not making any statements any way about him. I'm just pointing out his training style. <clears throat> he doesn't run short horses. And I think that's, um, I think that's one of the reasons he's able to re- win these races at the upper, upper, upper levels um, a lot because he's sending over a horse who's dead fit. And, um, you know, there's a lot to say to that. Like on, on the cheaper end, I used to say I'll trade fitness for soundness, but that's that's at the, the lower end. And, you know, sometimes on the lower end, you're running a $20,000 horse against $15,000 horses. So you, you you just have a better horse. So, you know what, you, you don't need to train them to, to be dead, dead fit like that. Uh, at the upper end, end of the game, it's like the NBA. Like, you know, guys talk about being NBA shaped and a guy misses four or five games. And he's literally not in, you know, here's a guy 23 years old at the peak of his, his athletic abilities, right? He misses four or five games and been sitting on the sidelines, getting on a treadmill. And he comes back and he, he gets tired because he's not honed to the, you know, the, the rigors of, of, of playing uh, an NBA basketball game. And I think horse racing is at the top level. It, it's very close to that. And uh, I don't think you can miss a lot of works. Or miss a you know you miss a race or two, especially with these lightly raced horses. It's not like you got horses now that have eight nine races. I mean, Shug's horse is is by far the most traditionally campaigned horse, and probably one of the best things that happened to the horse was he didn't break his maiden early, in that he was able to use those maiden races and he developed in those maiden races, and he was able to find races for him. Which, if you get a horse and you break your maiden and you don't want to run in the stake, it's pretty difficult to find races as, as a two-year-old and an early three-year-old. I mean, I think yeah, Pletcher had said uh, the horses he ran in the Tampa Bay, one of them in Tampa Bay and one in uh, the Holy Bull, that, um, and I think even one of the ones that he ran in the, the uh, race up in New York, the Withers, that he he ran him in those races because the allowance races didn't fill. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, as far as Bob Baffert's concerned, you'd be really hard pressed to see a Baffert horse that quote unquote needed a race. They usually don't. (laughs) I mean, I, I can't tell you the last time I thought 
and this is my own thinking, that the horse he ran needed a race. No, his horses usually don't. They're they're usually ready to run when he runs them, and that's you know, like I said, uh, a lot of people let personal feelings get involved, even though I don't know the guy, and I'm not defending. Listen, he got the positives, and he shouldn't have, um, but. I'm not going to like ignore the fact the guy is in these races and he has these horses because he's good. There's, there's no reason to, I'm not, you know, like it's not condoning a person because you, you talk about him uh, again. I, I personally don't have anything against him. Nothing other than he didn't buy my horse at one time. Dang it. You know, there was a race that we were talking on Saturday afternoon and kind of blew up our, our late, uh, I late bets, but mm. I thought the Royal Delta was a really good example of well, number one, saving ground because Corey Lannery is, is this meet. I, I don't know what it is, but he's turned into Calvin Burrow <laughs> because he has won more races on Saturday afternoons up the rail, sticking to the inside and, and letting things happen. Um, and, and he did that with with Queen Necky in the Royal Delta. But I thought it, the, the Royal Delta was a great, um, a great look at speed figures and quote unquote performance figures. In that, on the buyer numbers, Mrs. Danvers was head and shoulders above the rest of the field, especially off her last race. Yet, uh, on the thoroughbreds. She was not even close to the fastest horse in the race, and she was probably uh, her best was probably fourth best or fifth best, including last race. Her last race was slower on thoroughbred than the winner's last race, um, and she went off a big favorite. She was three to two. Uh, she kind of got a speed duel with um, with Safi Joseph's horse, the, the coming out of the Delta race, Gibberish who, you know, figured to show speed as well. It's just interesting that uh, a lot of times, you know, we, we see races where there's two or three speed horses, yet a speed duel doesn't actually happen that everybody lets one go. But, um, you know, these guys went head and head, and they went legit fractions, and they, they, they kind of got tired. And um, I know Jose Ortiz got a lot of abuse for his ride, but, but. Well, what think- else was he going to do? Well, not only that, but I think he got abused because people thought he was on a horse that was really heads and shoulders above, uh, faster than everyone. But he he wasn't on the fastest horse. No, he was according to the, the sheets. And um, uh, that that's kind of a it's kind of an interesting look at, at how depending on what numbers you use. Um, whether you use the brisk numbers or whether you use the, 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 the buyers or whether you use sheets or whether you use ragazins or, or some of the uh, Timeform USA or uh, you know, some of the other performance figures out there, um, never use the echo base numbers. They're worthless. Yeah, I think, but, I um, think Mrs. Danvers, uh, that was the only thing I did right in that race was throwing that one out. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't use her on the ticket. I, didn't, I threw I her did. out completely on everything. I didn't have a ticket. But but didn't didn't catch a thing. <laughs> no, I, I didn't either. Now that was funny because I was thinking that that would be a uh, last Wednesday. I had uh, I had O'Crunk on, 
and he is a Jersey resident and he was one of the guys that um, was able to play into the exchange because New York or excuse me, New Jersey had exchange wagering, literally the only state in the union that had it. And it was restricted to New Jersey residents betting through their account and uh, the Europeans, um, you know, Betfair where it started. And, and I wasn't aware of this, but um, he was saying that he always felt he was at a huge disadvantage because he was betting into a, a 11% take and the Europeans on the other side of the ledger were betting a 5% take. So yeah, you're way up, uh, you know, against it to start with, but I always thought exchange wagering would be great for horses like Mrs. Danvers. You know, she was three to two and, you know, I didn't like her at all. And I could have offered her at like, five to two and got a lot of money. You know, you got a lot of action just betting, uh, you know, playing against a, um, a horse that you don't like. And it, it worked out this time, but, uh, and I'm sure it, you know, it wouldn't have, <laughs> it wouldn't always work out that way. No, bad favorites but, win all the time. <laughs> but, but that was a, a, an example where I was like, I didn't know how else to, to make money at the race. Um, I mean, I used some horses, one who didn't run at all, and uh, the, the, the runner-up, um, who, who wasn't a great bet at two-to-one, but I actually thought she would drift up a little bit. Um, that was uh, at A2. Um, I mean, got first run. I mean, the horse yeah. kind of did everything it was supposed to do, just, just couldn't win. Well, if Corey Lannery doesn't come up the rail, if Queen Nekia tries to circle him, yeah. he doesn't win the race. I mean, short. I, I think that if he, he went wide, um, he certainly probably would have cost him the, the you know, at least a, a couple of lengths being coming up. I mean, he was literally like scraping paint. So I mean, he, he did a great job. And a lot of times, you know what, we give jockeys a lot of crap and sometimes they deserve it. But <laughs> that was a re- that was a case where the jockey really made the difference. Um, anyone else had tried not to, you know, just sneak on the rail or had left the rail at any point on the final turn uh, to the quarter pole, you, you wouldn't have won the race. And and uh, I think I think you know he's he, he he can ride a little bit inconsistently down here, but um he's he's been I thought I thought he's been riding pretty well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, better than he has in in, in a while down in, in South Florida. I mean. You know, there, there's certain guys like Joel Rosario and even my guy Julian Leperu, who catches a lot of flack. But, you know, I, he deserves it. <laughs> come on, man. That's my man. I have a great, you know what's funny? I have like this ridiculous record with Julian Leperu as a trainer. I'm like seven for nine or something with Because they're all like Kentucky Downs, no? No, I don't think I ever won a race Kentucky Downs with him. I, really? I won the Cardinal. Yeah, yeah, we beat uh, we beat Sheikh Mohammed's race the day after the Breeders' Cup. Uh, we beat Sheikh Mohammed had the big favorite um, in the Cardinal the year they the Breeders' Cup was Churchill nineteen or two thousand. That was the Z- Zinjana Blame year. No, I remember it was really cold, man. It might have been the Blame year. It might have been the blame. No, no, no. Because no. that was at night. Was, it was, it, yeah. No, no, no. It, that it was, was at further, night. Yeah. It was further back. Yeah. But um, it was the next day. Not, not. It wasn't. The, it was a Sunday. The following Sunday it was the feature. The next day, 
instead of like eighty thousand people, there was like Five. four. <laughs> yeah, it was you know it was really cold, but Julian he he rode great. He actually, I mean, he outrode. Um, might have been Detori on on the good Alvin horse. So it, it was yeah we had we had a really good record. <laughs> uh, hell, he might have been a bug for a couple of those races. That's how that's Whoa. All kind of. Yeah, right. I remember when he was a bug at, at uh, Saratoga, and he was just winning everything. Yeah, on the leap. Yeah. <laughs> I think the biggest problem with his riding style is he just can get a little too passive because he's a pretty good rider on the lead, but he just doesn't get there enough. So, you know, that, that's. I, I think a lot of guys. I think if if New York, if there was a guy riding live horses in New York that, that was aggressive and, and went to the lead and because everyone else wants to take back. I think a guy could do really well just, just getting to the lead. I mean, Aqueduct, there's been all kinds of, uh, uh, you know, conjecture about the, the golden rail at Aqueduct this weekend. Uh, and, you know, looking at the races, looking at the results, looking at the, the aftermath, it, it certainly looks like the rail was awful golden. But, um, yeah, you know, when the uh, pick, th- pick five is like one, two, 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 one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it was, it was kind of obvious, but um, but uh, yeah, just just being aggressive. I think that's why Paco wins more races than he should. Not just because he's a little maniac, but <laughs> because you know he's aggressive and uh, you know he'll warm a horse up real strong before the race, and and he'll he'll just drop the reins and let him go. And um, you know he he's got a different type of style, but I think he wins probably a third of his races just because uh, of his aggression, just, you know, riding hard. And, you know, he's a little bit all over the place, and which probably serves to intimidate the other jockeys a little bit. You know, when he's on, he's in front of you, 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 you might think twice about trying to bump the insides. But, but in the end, you know, he does win a lot of races. Yeah, a lot. <laughs> and like you said, a lot more than he probably should. I just don't know what's going to happen to Paco if they ever bring these whip rules in. <clears throat> yeah, he needs to get out of town and go somewhere else. <laughs> the, 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 the not raising it over your whatever, you know, you can't raise it. He raises it. So it was kind of, so Mike, you know, Mike Smith and the, the, the kid that, uh, that won the, the big race got, got fined and, a lot. Ten <laughs> percent of the winner's share, right? Yeah. It's a lot. When you when the <laughs> the winner's share is a ten million. Money. It's probably more money than ninety percent of the jockeys in the world make a year. Wonder where it goes. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> I'm not going to make any more comments. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know where it goes. Lest we become known as the, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, you know, we, we talked about the Saudi race and like, I can see people's point about not wanting to support it. I get it. Mm. You know, it is ridiculous to take out for those races. Why? It's so, Gambling in Saudi Arabia is illegal. Right, there's no, there's, there's nothing. They can't, right? 
it's a it's banned. If, I, if one of those guys comes over here, I'm gonna grab him and says, I'm gonna say, listen, I got a bone to pick with you. Your culture is whatever it is. But can you guys please lower your stupid takeout? Like, come on, man. You guys aren't even supposed to gamble. 25% on exotics. Yeah, did, Why? Well, did you see what the pick three paid? The, the late pick three? No, I didn't. Yeah, you should you should Google it. Look it up. I mean, come on. Be appalled man. how much that paid. And you'd be appalled how I had two of the three winners. They threw like thirty million dollars in purses or thirty-five million in purses at the race. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, like that, oh, just, you know, there is no betting in Saudi Arabia. There's no host. Like, I don't even know who the host is. I, that's that. what it's I was going to ask. It's, it's not. It's not. You know, King Abdul Aziz Downs because they. they I, I read something last year. Uh, someone posted a link where they they did find some some poor guys that were betting on the races, <laughs> and they like chopped their hands off or something. So like it's not like it's it's going into the purses. It's not a it's not a normal place. So I don't know. It's just kind of I guess one of the maybe I don't know. It, it just I'm not sure. I was gonna ask like where does that money go? It's like where is it funneled to? Same thing with Dubai. I mean they're not allowed to bet there either. There's no betting there. So I mean the odds you see are, are the the international pool odds. So I'm not really sure. I mean, that, that's like a Pat Cummings question. Pat Cummings. Uh, I'm sure that. he would know off the top of his head. Yeah, Pat Cummings would probably tell us exactly how it goes because he knows those kind of things. My mind isn't, my, my brain isn't big enough to like store that kind of information. So we rely on Pat for those kind of things. That's right. You're, you're like the, uh, the delegator, you know. You, yeah. You can delegate responsibilities and knowledge to others. Pat Cummings is the official Going in Circles Big Monday show information on Middle Eastern takeout person. You need to put that on the website somewhere with this picture. (laughs) (laughs) He probably won't talk to us anymore. (laughs) Pat, we gave you an official title. You're the official (laughs) Middle Eastern... Not... Make a real long title too. Just everything you could think of. <laughs> the official in charge of telling us where the hub for races and countries that don't allow wagering uh, <laughs> comes from. Person. <laughs> oh man. Uh, it's it's a little silly, but <laughs> just it's a lot silly. Hey, I made a winning bet at Laurel this week. Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. We don't make picks, but you're going to hear about my my wins because they don't happen very often. That was a pretty good one though. Yes, I was it was, that it was, was you know, it was a pretty decent card of racing. I mean, it was. It was very gotten, good actually. And it, it really was. I mean, it's tough Maryland in the winter. They got they got PP, you know, postponed and um you know, we had the big General George controversy, and, uh, but Victor Carrasco really rode share the ride great in the General George, and um, Arthur's hope was the other speed, and he, he he didn't let the horse clear, and I really think that that made the big made a big difference in that he didn't have to come around him. He he, he was able to hold his position and turn it for home. Arthur's. Um, Arthur's hope kind of drifted out 
and it, it gave essentially share of the ride kind of got about a, a two length boost um, turning for home because the other horse drifted out and kind of slowed up some of the ones behind him. And he really, uh, he, he won pretty easily. Um, he, he's a, he's a pretty nice horse. He's a, a candy ride. Um, and he was coming back on, on short rest and he's kind of uh, short rest these days from, uh, he'd run a, at Aqueduct uh, at, on the 30th of January. Uh, I'm not really familiar with, with his trainer, um, Miguel Penaloza, but uh, he, he's done a good job with this horse, and he, he's a very, very steady um, performer. I mean, he, he runs his race all the time, and I, I thought his – I thought I, I really didn't like the inside horses, and um, I really thought that some of the horses cutting back I, – I just thought it was a, a race that, that the favorites just looked really vulnerable – and I really liked shared the ride, and um, you know I was able, I was lucky, and the tattooed came running. Uh, a big number too. Yeah, twenty to one he, on the cutback, so that that made the number for me. But um, it was it was really nice. I guess it was Victor Carrasco's first graded stake win, and uh, he he really, you know, talk about jockeys that made a difference. And that race, he really made a difference just by being aggressive and, and not letting the other horse kind of come over on him and, and force you know, force his hand. Well, he, by, he by read the form. I mean, they had a yeah. plan. He, he read the form. You could tell just by the way he rode the horse. Yep, sure did. And, and uh, you know, shout out to Justin Nixon for for winning the Barbara Fishy. Um, oh, yeah. Into Mischief. Got his... Uh, <laughs> 8,000 million. His winner. weekly stake, greatest stake <laughs> winner. Um I, I can't. I have to announce to you that uh, I did not have any of the first three horses crossing the wire. <laughs> so, um, as good as my handicapping was in the General George, it was terrible in the, this race. As I wasn't even remotely close to cashing a ticket. But um, it was it was nice to see you know a guy that doesn't have a, a big barn and uh, win a race. And and I had horses for Ed Seltzer, and Ed's kind of a funny guy, but he um I can tell you this about him. He had a elevator put in his house because his dog couldn't get up and down the stairs anymore. That's pretty. So, that's pretty gangster. Yeah, that says something about a guy. I mean, he's a little bit of a misguided uh, Miami Hurricanes fan. Oh you know, no! Like, like Ramiro and Mike Lerman and all those people who you know just living in the Jimmy Johnson era. But you know, <laughs> to you. <laughs> the you yeah Romero needs to just stick to tennis <laughs> you know tennis the, 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 we ha- you know we, we it's so funny you get on Twitter and people say things and, and you know Swift Hitter always says some stupid stuff but he says some interesting stuff too and that he, he was talking about what athlete what, what's the hardest sport to be a professional athlete in and he was saying tennis, and uh, I, I debate that. Thing. Yeah, Golf. I said, well, I think being an NBA player is the hardest. Number one, because you have to be almost—you almost have to be freakishly tall. So that l- eliminates like ninety-nine point nine 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 percent of the world's population. So generally, almost everyone's eliminated from from the start. Um, I, I could I could accept the argument of a boxer. Um, because a normal person would get knocked out 
by someone, you know, within 30 or 40 pounds of his weight range in probably about 30 seconds by a real boxer. And I'm not talking George Foreman. I'm talking about a regular boxer. He would knock you out in probably 30 seconds. Most people, they would get hit in the ribs once, including me, and it would be <laughs> over. I would be on my side, and I probably wouldn't sleep on that side for six months. Um, but but th- think about professional football player outside of being a kicker. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, the first things that came to my mind would be jockey and or golfer. Well, I know a lot of people are jockeys that aren't good athletes, so we'll, not, we'll, we'll take them off. Ooh. Like DiCarlo. Oh, man. That's my, my, that's my guy. Oh. He's a lot of things. But... <laughs> he, he's, he, I, he, he'll always be my favorite because of Green Grotto. I could beat him in a foot race. Uh, I'd like to see that, actually. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll go to the shore. Be... Maybe we'll take that you know, trip. We make fun of him so much. And then one day, he's going to be a steward. And he's going to take my horse down. I'm going to have a horse. I'm going to own a piece of a horse or something. And and he's going to take the horse down. And, and I'm going to call up and say, what did you take my horse down for? And he's going to say, I remember when you said I, I wasn't an athlete. And I, was, I couldn't run. See? DQ'd. Well, yeah. Speaking of which, that's why I haven't played Laurel since Thanksgiving, by the way. Yeah, the, the bad DQ. Oh, the Laurel man. Bard. Hurt my Laurel feelings. Laurel Bard. I was two grand in my pocket taken away. You know, there haven't been that many egregiously bad DQs lately. No. I, I, I do will say that. It's, it's been kind of, it's been quite, it's been slow on the DQ front. Everybody's keeping it's, a straight it, lane. That's why. Yeah, it, it's, it has been. I mean, it's kind of weird because in the summertime, and there's, yeah, there's more racing in the summertime too, but it just seems like there's, there was a lot of, issues and and lately i can't remember a whole lot of um, i can because i was the beneficiary you know, of that one on sam f davis day in the last race people were really upset about that one and even that one i mean yeah. even, i still don't get why they didn't hang that i, I still think if, if the stewards don't hang the inquiry up you, you should never give a jock days i think giving days is stupid anyways you know what because you hurt the you hurt the the other people just as much you hurt the trainers that that have them booked for mounts right. that are now scrambling um, at the last minute because, you know, they have a guy and now all of a sudden he's going to just take the days to get them over with. And then you're left with, you know, guys that you really don't probably don't want to ride. Just find them. I mean, maybe not a hundred thousand like you find the guy in Saudi, but just, just, just find them. Yeah. I mean, days, days is rough, man. That's, that's a rough <laughs> thing especially for you know depending on the situation sometimes the horses do what they do and they'll still give you know, it just i just look at it from the point of view of it's just very hard sometimes when you get a jockey that fits a horse and it's hard enough nowadays to get your horse going to get them keep them sound to get them fit to find a race to get that race to go and then you lose your jockey and you're stuck with somebody you probably don't want to ride and that's just it's it's just i i just don't think that jockeys are taught a lesson by by not having them ride on um 
Like if you give Ired or Tease three days and he doesn't ride Wednesday, Thursday, Friday at Gulfstream, he's going to the beach, man. He's not like sitting home watching films <laughs> like sulking. You know what I mean? He's probably flying to Atlantis and, and he's he's probably got a, a five thousand dollar hand blackjack game or something. Like you're not you're not harming him. Right, it's, it's the not really that, that would be riding him. It's not a deterrent. <laughs> no, it's not a deterrent. It's not. I mean, the poor guys in California, they don't know what to do. They, 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 I mean, the one guy got fined last week or got suspended last week. He hit a horse one time, once. Oh, it was overhand. He's done that a whole. That's how. That's how they've been trained to do it their whole lives. And now, once they're giving a guy days, days are stupid. Yeah, it's. I mean, I was I was exclaiming about this the other day. I I have a hard time playing Santa Anita now, with that rule. I mean, uh, it looks, you know, visually like horses that, with some mild urging, and I say mild, could win races that haven't been. Yeah, I know. I you know what I was. I don't want to complain about the whip rules every single week, but man, but it affects the outcomes of the races, though. That's that's why I have a big problem with it, because you can visually see it's it's tough to play there. I I know actually yesterday there was a lot of chalk. Um, but man, it, it's it's tough. You know, it's tough to watch <laughs> because you see guys just stop, and it's like man, just a little bit more. And he probably could at least have a chance to win it, and they, they they can't unless they want to get fined or suspended. Every great jockey I've ever talked about riding, they all say the same thing: that it becomes instinctual, and you see a hole, you don't think about it, you go for it, you go for it, you don't go for it, and you make a move based on on your muscle uh, memory and and your reaction, and um, you know it's like a baseball coming at you, like. When a guy's throwing at 98 miles an hour and it's curving, you don't have time to, like, consider, should I swing? Should I not swing? Is it going to be inside? Like, it's just read and react. And I think that it's the same for these jockeys who have been riding these horses for years and years and years. They were taught to ride a certain way. And now you're telling them that they can't ride that way anymore. And it's not right. And you see it in California. Like you said, you, you literally see the jockeys thinking about it. And that's not how they're supposed to be riding. These are professional jockeys at the highest level, and they should be able to just ride like they were taught. And if, you know, they can't follow the rules, and if a guy hits a horse 20 times, well, yeah, it's, it's a different story. But having them sit there and count how many times they hit the horse and is tapping the horse down the backside on the shoulder with the whip down, is that one or is that not one? I mean... It's it's just it's it's almost silly. It's like you got to have the umpire's counter there and click 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 click. And what is it really accomplishing? I don't know. That's that's my point because it's it's highly, in my opinion, highly affecting the races and the outcomes. That's not good. No, no. It's too late in today's podcast to get into too much like from a global view of racing, but. Too many decisions are made these days based upon faulty thinking or nonsense or political correctness. And this is a business. This is not politics. 
politicians can piss away every single cent a state has, as they have in Illinois and, and many places where there are billions of dollars in the hole. And they just come up with another way of getting it. Or they just, uh, the, the federal politicians, they just print more money. This is a business. This isn't political. And when we allow the politics to seep into a decision-making, well, like a guy like you, right? You think you're the only guy that's looking at California racing and, you know, kind of thinking, well, I don't feel like I'm getting the bang for the buck here and, and just look, look elsewhere. And these days, there's a lot of places that you can look elsewhere. You can, you, you can stay up, get up early in the morning or stay up late and bet on Hong Kong. Australia is my go-to. Australia. Australia, A, B, or C. Or D. The Gold Coast. Rose Hill. Victoria. Man, Rose Hill's my favorite. Rose Hill's the spot. Rose Hill's like the, the Keeneland of Australia. What time is it in Australia right now? Probably Tuesday morning, right? Tomorrow. <laughs> no, it's not Tuesday morning. Probably Tuesday afternoon, right? I guess it's probably, well, I mean, I guess it depends if it's east coast of Australia or west coast of Australia. True, true. But, you know, you have a lot of options, and sports is even bigger and bigger and bigger, and it's really, it's really scary to me. It's really, really scary that I don't think anyone in horse racing has any clue Um what's going to hit them when sports betting is really up and running and running the way. Well, just think about here in Florida, uh, how big of a difference it's going to make when, not if, when sports betting is legalized here. And the the difference is that, that, uh, and we talked about this with Crunk on Wednesday, was that, you know, veto the local book, he, he wasn't giving you four, five, six, eight game parlays where you could bet $20 and come out with 27000 if you got the series of things that could hit. Now, the odds of that happening are, are not strong, of course. But the one thing racing always had over regular sports betting, because regular sports betting used to be totals, over-unders, uh, maybe halftime bets. Uh, the, the only prop bets he got were in, like, the Super Bowl. <laughs> or the national championship game, right? So it, it, it was kind of, uh, you know, there wasn't an exotic um, element to them. They were pretty much straight-up bets, uh, you know, betting the money line, of course. But now, with these corporate books giving all these crazy odds to different things and letting you bet parlays and, 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 and such, yeah, you can bet a little bit and make a lot. And... That's that's the big difference. And, and, you know, we used to be the only game in town where you could bet a little bit and make a lot. Uh, and now, like, you get into the jackpot bets, and, and li- literally only suckers are, are betting into the jackpot bets on non-carryover days, uh, at, especially with a small bankroll. I mean, it's just like a sucker's bet. And, um, yeah, an, an eight-team player slash different sports parlay is probably a sucker's bet as well. But people get it a lot easier. And 
it's a lot easier for someone to understand um, this guy's going to score 20 or over in this game or this team is going to, you know, score this or, or this, you know, this guy's going to have this many or three pointers or not. Mm. And it's just more competition for the, and, and I think racing is going to make the same mistake it made with slots in thinking you're going to convert slot players to racing. It just never happened. Um, I, I think that the idea that we, we could pick off sports players into racing is like one out of a thousand, except I think going the other way, racing guys that turn into slot or turn into sports betters. Uh, I think you'll have a lot. A lot. And I don't even know how to venture a guess uh, percentage-wise um, that has any validity outside of just wild stab. But can racing – can, can, what if racing lost 10% of its handle? Hmm. It's a billion dollars. Where are we getting that? Yeah, Where are we getting that? can't make that I, up. That, you can't make that if up you had, if, you, if you didn't listen to, if anyone out there listens to this, go back and listen to last Wednesday's podcast with O'Crunk. There's a lot of things that he talks about. Um, he, he tracks the numbers. He's, he's a non-biased source of information, which in horse racing is literally unheard of. Everyone's kind of got a, an edge to their... Uh, to the numbers, the numbers are going to be massaged a lot of times before you're going to see them. And what one of the things that he's been saying is that there is a ceiling on the amount of money bet on our horse, bet on horse racing, and and it's been pretty stagnant. Stagnant um, these days is is means we're falling behind. Uh, you know, there's a ceiling, and he, and he used the, he made a great analogy on. Uh, Santa Anita's opening day, comparing it with 2015, which was the last opening day of Santa Anita that fell on a Saturday. Uh, obviously, Saturdays are the best days of, for, for gambling. And the point being that Santa Anita had a record day this year. And you're going to look at the industry trades and you're going to see the quotes and everything as though there was new money bet into this and it was new players and, and expansion. But his view was look at the entire day the entire day in 2015 which was you know, six years ago was almost identical numbers wise to 2021 or 2020 it was 2020 that tells you all you need to know <laughs> so it wasn't as though there was new money it wasn't new money it was the same amount bet we had that hit the ceiling it was just distributed a little bit different New York isn't running on the 26th. It was running in 2015. They did like eight million that day. Now that eight million was was you know divvied up between Gulfstream, who did three million more this year than they did in 2015, and Santa Anita did like eight million more, six million more, something like that. But in the end, total wagering for that for for the the country was virtually the same. But we don't have a source of information, a, a group um, that's giving us the daily numbers for everyone. We just have we, we hear from Santa Anita and then we hear from Gulfstream. So Santa Anita is going to say, oh, our numbers were up. Gulfstream is going to say, oh, our numbers were up. But we don't hear about the numbers being down other places <clears throat> on that same day. So 
you know, the, the, the view is the, Hey, handles growing. It's getting bigger. Look like they're going up. Everything's up. It's up. It's up. It's up. But I don't know that that's true. Context. So, context is key. Yeah. He had a lot of really good things to say. Chris is, um, you know, I, he, it took a little, a little, you know, begging to get him to come on the show. He's, he's kind of a private guy and we didn't really talk about, you know, his personal life or, or anything else really. But he's been keeping track of these, you know, stats because it's something he likes to do, and uh, he's a numbers guy, and his analysis um, is is really good, and it's unbiased, and I think that's that's what I really like about it. Not only because he's smart as well, but um, it's one of the places where where we're gonna get. A, a true reading on, on some of the things. And he's been right more often, way more often uh, than, than he hasn't been right. Um, and it was, it was really good. And I, and I hope to have him back on. Um, he seemed like he, he, afterwards, he seemed like he, he, he enjoyed it. He liked so, it. He liked it. Yeah. So hopefully we can have it. Uh, he was doing a little self critiquing, which we always do because everyone thinks that they sound horrible on, uh, on, on radio or, the voice, you know, like I listen to them, like, man, I sound like, yeah, I, I can't listen to it. And my daughter asked me all the time, and she's like, Do you listen to it? I said, No, I lived it. I lived yeah, it. and then sometimes, you know, it's very easy to like criticize yourself. Oh, I wish I didn't say that like that. I wish I'd said this, but uh, you know, at some point, like, I'm not Bob Costas, and you're not, and, and, what am I doing here? No, I'm much taller than Bob Costas. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? <laughs> <laughs> that guy's a little shrimp. Um, but uh, it's it's um, it's what the NTRA never turned into. You know, never really turned into that that central office to kind of give us the, the scoop. But um, but we have Crunk and and he does do, do a really good job at at. at uh, I mean, he found an error in Charlie Hayward's piece the other day and. They called him on it, and, and uh, they Hayward admitted that uh, it was it was not correct. And, and he Crunk figured it out because he said the numbers didn't make sense. And then I went back and I looked, and, and the number they had just just was way off, and, and it it was way off. Uh, I'm not saying that, that he did it intentionally. I'm sure Charlie just got the numbers, the source he got the numbers from. I think he said he got it from the um, New York State Assembly. <laughs> so what? You know, yeah, politicians, so you know, they don't need to tell us the truth. They're <laughs> politicians, but um, oh, it's really it's it's important, and I think that the as this business starts to get squeezed, I think we're going to see a lot of interesting um, commentary from the tracks. Spin I think is the more the the term. Spin, yeah, and um. I just, I really fear for the business. I, I really think that, that, um, and, 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 you know, like when I'd say about the commissioner, like it's kind of laughable because it, it can't happen. And that's just because of the structure of racing. It's not that it's not a great idea. It'd be an awesome idea. If you should say, all right, we're going to make so-and-so commissioner, Barry, we're going to make you the commissioner <laughs> and you're going to have power over all these things. You know, yeah, you would change state schedules. You would make tracks run different days you would make this happen you would do things so that everybody would benefit you would cut takeout you would 
you know, play around with the rebates. You would do this, you would do that. You know, there's nobody doing things for the common good. Everyone's doing things for their own good. And, and that's a very difficult, um, it's a very difficult thing. It's a very difficult thing because there's so many moving parts and uh, it's, it's just like the wagering side has just got so complicated. Yeah, I mean, you're right about that where <clears throat> everybody has their own interests and it would be extremely difficult to get buy-in from each track to do or to agree to do certain things in order to benefit the collective. And it's like, you know, that, that window may have been there at one point, but it, it closed real quick. <laughs> and it was probably before I was born. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I defend the horsemen a lot. And, of course, you know, I'm a little bit biased because that's the side of the fence I've been on for most of my racing career. Not all of it, but most of it. And in a lot of ways, the horsemen are inept. It's not that... And it's not that they're all, like, stupid. It's just that, you know, horsemen's groups are volunteer groups for the most part. Tracks are now run by are billion-dollar corporations. And they're run by people that do that full time and, and, and as negotiators uh, on the horseman's side for, for the various horsemen's groups all over the country, we very few of us, very few you know, groups have any leverage these days. And very few groups have the, the type of personnel that can match be mad. You know, we don't have six, eight, 10, 12 staff of people that, that are crunching numbers and, and doing all, you know different projects and have different sources of revenues and, 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 you know, Churchill Downs, for instance, they, they've got all kinds of projects. Racing is just one of the things that they do. Um, so they've got other revenue sources as well. We're just one of them, but for us, we're a one trick pony, you know, and it's just very difficult. So, uh, and, and yeah, uh, you know, you welcome to the big leagues and then we're going to negotiate contracts and it's going to be complicated and we can't just sit here and cry that we have a bunch of people that really aren't um, as smart as the other side's guys. We, we, that, that's, we have to adapt. Um, some places, some, some organizations have. Um, they've gotten better. Some haven't. So that's, that's part of the, the, the problem. And and I don't mean this in like a, um, a, like a derogatory way, but the tracks often lead the horsemen down a path that benefits the tracks because it, that's their business. Right. It's, it, it creates an adversarial relationship there that, that's not healthy when you're trying to kind of do things in, in unison to, to, to the common goal. But, you know, obviously the, the tracks have their own agenda. The horsemen have their own agenda and there's no way to marry those concepts and, and kind of meet in the middle. You know, you have to have like a liaison, like you said, somebody that that's paid to, to be the middleman in that whole sort of relationship. And that's never going to happen because the tracks don't want to pay for it. The horsemen don't have the, the, uh, the resources to pay for something like that. So, 
it kind of goes by the wayside and it's always, uh, you know, like butting heads instead of working together. And in the end, neither side often looks out for the people who are, who are, who are a big part of the business better have any representation of the betters. And, and that's, um, you know, they don't have a seat at the table. And I, I try to, to talk to horsemen's groups and horsemen and say, listen, we, the betters really are on, you know, would be on our side because some of the tracks would close the tracks. <laughs> you know, they wouldn't be horse racing if they could make more money doing something else. The betters are still, on our side in that we both are doing this, um, you know, for money. It's not like, you know, nobody works for free, but we do it because we love the game as well. The tracks don't love the game. That doesn't mean that every track executive hates horse racing. That's not true. Some of them are, you know, really are horse racing guys. And, you know, you generalize, you generalize. But in the end, the track's goal, especially the corporate tracks, are to make money and if they can make money um racing one day a week they make more money racing one day a week than they do four days a week then they're going to try to run one day a week even if that's going to deteriorate uh the state grid program that's going to chase trainers away it's going to you know, eliminate the middle guys it's going to uh you know betters are going to go somewhere else i i don't know that there's a lot of long-term thinking in this business i think the the one group that thinks long-term in this business is Churchill Downs. And most of their long-term thinking involves of getting out of racing, not getting into racing. Right. And, you know, I was always curious if, if you know, I never really looked at the uh, RTIP program. If they had, you know, like a, a, a degree or certificate or whatever, you know, for racing economics. I'm sure they have something similar to that, I would think, but I'm not well, sure. Well, have, there's, there's, I mean, it's a, it's an animal science degree. Um, and they had, uh, the business, um, I mean, remember, I'm, I'm referring, <laughs> this is, it's just a long, long time ago when I was there, but you could either go on the animal science, like, side or the business side. Now, you still, if you're in the RTI program, you still took all the RTI uh, racetrack industry classes. You know, that was a requirement. You took all of them. So you're going to get a, a, a an education, but it's just so different. Like, I remember one of the guys came in, and I don't remember who it was. Maybe Tony Chamberlain, who was uh, head of the, the ARCI like a long time ago. And he gave a speech to us. And he said something along the lines of the biggest enemy to racing right now is Indian and gaming. And we all kind of looked at each other because none of us had any idea what Indian gaming was. And everybody laughed at him, I'm sure. Like, what, No, it was kind of like, what's what's he talking about? <laughs> like Indian gaming, is that like like the bowl? You know the bowling they do in, in like New England with the little pins? Duck pins. Like, yeah, yeah. Is it, yeah man. Is, it, is it something like that, or, or is it like like I, you know, I, I wasn't sure if what he was talking about because it wasn't even in play at that point, and he really wasn't that far off. He just probably also didn't believe that gambling would become so prevalent, and that he knew that the Indians, you know, the the Native Americans, because they're they're 
you know, have their own laws and, and they're not really, you know, privy to some of the other federal laws, state and federal laws that we are, that they could open casinos and that they were going to become competition. And he was right. He was, he was dead right. And this was like, I don't even want to admit how long ago this was, like 1989? So, or 1988. And things have changed so much. Um, just so much. And just so much, in, uh, there's so much involved in racing now that's not even really racing. It's just the politics of, of having to deal with um, animal rights groups and um, kind of hostile state um, boards, things like that. I mean, the California board, it's got people on there that are, that are more or less hostile towards raising. Well, that, that's kind of why I, I brought that up is because, you know, you would think a, a program like that could cultivate these kind of ideas and put them out there once people graduate and become interns and do whatever it is that they do. And bring those kind of ideas to the forefront in order to penetrate the higher level people and have that kind of thinking trickle its way down. You're, you're, not, you're, you're not wrong. The problem is you have people that are graduating, they're 22, 23, 25 years old, and they're starting off in entry level positions. And a lot of people, I, I don't know, and, and this is something like we've talked about, people don't realize that. When you cut back dates, you also cut back salaries of people who are working on per diems. And it's difficult to make a living working as a racing official if you're not at one of the tracks um, that races year round or you're not on a circuit where you have year round work, where you're working enough to, to make a, um, you know, to make enough money to stay in the industry. And the other thing is you have to grind your way up the ladder. So. Um, you know, most of the racetracks have like a Churchill Downs. I, I don't know, you know, the corporate structure that they have. And of course, they're a little different because they're a publicly traded company. But very few of the guys who are, who are execs over there have racing backgrounds. Um, I think most of them are lawyers and most of them, um, you know, learn the business. But it's not as though they're racing people. Um you know, there, there's there's a lot of racing racetrack industry people out there, but again, you you have to have your boss buy in. You have to have the guys that owns the racetrack buy in. Yeah, yeah. And exactly. their philosophies have to. I mean, we all know that the Strana Group's philosophies are are far different than Churchill Downs' philosophies, and Naira operates completely different fashion because they basically have to give away. Uh, they spend all the money that they have and then the rest they give to the state so that they operate in a, in a completely different fashion. And Oakland has the advantage of having um, nine months of, of slot revenue and, and three months of racing. So they're in a different situation. And, um, you know, the Pennsylvania tracks are, are I mean, those, those tracks, they, they don't even really try to pretend like they're really into racing. <laughs> so, it's a difficult it's a difficult spot that horse racing is in and, and like Crunk said he goes listen they're still doing 11 billion dollars in handle it's still a significant business but um i just think if, if the handle starts to drop that panic is going to set in and 
you know, you might see stupid stuff like right, bad crazy. decisions, man. Right. Right. And I know that we're never ever gonna see like a formal industry wide um at least I, I don't <clears throat> believe we'll see an industry wide push to like um make things more efficient for everyone because in racing most of the companies and organizations still see the other racing organizations as the competition and as the enemy not the the you know the real enemy which which is in my view sports betting for sports betting is where we're going to lose customers and handle um to me that that that's where we're going to lose it and I don't have a lot of really great ideas on how to, um, like, I don't have any real original, like, ideas, even the pie-in-the-sky ones that would, would say, well, this will definitely make people bet horse racing and not, not uh, sports betting. I just think that racing needs to have a better product and have it better priced. And it seems very simple, very simple, right? Better product, better <clears throat> price. But... Where where do we see that happen very often? You know, outside of maybe throwing money at purses, and that's another thing that I mean, I hate to keep going back to Crunk, but that was one of the things he said. He goes, his data, the number that he's looked at, that increasing purses is not really shown to to dramatically increase handle. So, you know, it'll make it. it it's good. Uh, you can't argue against. I mean, well, I guess you could argue against raising purses, but I've seen a lot of the, and people have to remember too, purses aren't salaries. Like in the NBA, okay, you have a ceiling and you have a um, uh, a floor, a salary floor. A couple of years ago, the Sixers were, were, were not trying <laughs> and they had a salary, total salary for all their players. It was like 10 or $12 million underneath the seal, the, the floor. So that floor was like 70 million or 80 million and, and they had like 70 million. So at the end of the year, they had to take the difference between the, 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 the floor and what they paid and they had to divide it up amongst the players on the team because they have to pay $80 million out. That's not the same with purses. Um, purses are different. Purses aren't a salary. Purses go to the winners and it's been said in an awful, awful lot that most backsides are 80-20s, where 80% of the money is going to 20% of the people. Right. So raising purses isn't going to make that a 50-50 deal. You're just going to have uh, the 80% is going to be bigger. It's going to be more. <laughs> it's still going to go to the 20. And in some cases, that 20 might even get smaller. Is and that the other you know strong outfits will get even stronger and they'll start eating up the other big outfits. You know, they'll, they'll, there's no reason for a big outfit a lot of times to eat up a small outfit because small outfit has horses the big outfit's not interested in. The big outfit's interested in the other big outfits. You know, they're 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 horses. So, you know, just having bigger purses doesn't mean that 80 20 percentage is going to change. It's not. It's not going to change. The tw- the the other 80% of the guys that, that aren't getting most of the money, they're still not going to get most of the money. You're just really making the the people at the top richer. And, well, that seems fairly obvious. You would think that that, yeah. that would be like, you know, everybody would know that just by kind of taking a step back and looking at the problem 
you know, from, from afar. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's like when you put it that way, yeah, it looks plainly obvious, but we always talk about purses and, and listen, it's, it's not a, a situation where salaries are, are, you know, work. It's, it's not, I'm not suggesting that it, just saying that, that, um, Well, it's it's worthwhile to keep the the little outfits in the game instead of squeezing them out. Right, exactly. You're not going to have enough race. Exactly, and and that's it. it Seems like that part is missing because, like you said, they'll feed more into, let's say, the purses. But you know, eighty (laughs) twenty. You know, it's not helping the twenty out very much, if at all. So you got to find a way to level that playing field and keep the competition level up. The racing gets better, and then it it you know there there's a ripple effect there. Yeah, 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 yeah. I hear bad things from the pump. Man. I hear really bad things that uh, what that it's kind of depressing, and that despite the the, the, the amazing job that Gabe's done, man, Super Bowl I mean, Sunday speaks for itself. I mean, the guy has done an amazing job, and. If you could turn back the clock 30 years, like you almost wonder if a guy like Gabe could really, and I'm sure he'll like probably laugh. <laughs> but if you, you, you wonder if a guy like him that, that gets it, you know, that knows where his, knows how to run his racing operation uh, from a, a, a betting standpoint, um, how to maximize um, the right days, the right, sequences taking chances and and guaranteeing things and and really you know being player friendly and you just see how great that the response has been and yet management of of the isle casino doesn't care about racing and it's it sucks because like it looks like next year it might be the last year and it's uh, it's one of those things that's really hard for us that have been in the business on the horseman side for so long to 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 comprehend that um, the tracks just don't care in a lot of cases, in a lot of ways. Like the Isles, they whoever actually owns, I think MGM owns some or Harris or whatever, but they they really just don't care. And the month, the land is too valuable in their their estimation, and they're going to do something else with it and. It's not like they're saying, all right, you know, what we're going to do is we're going to build a little track over here. And, you know, because most of uh, 97% of the money, I'm sure 95% of the money there is that um, off track. But they're, they're not offering that. They're, they're just kind of saying, like, you know, go away. And that's, uh, you know, that's kind of a sobering thought considering the, like the just the amazing job that, that that he's done with that track I mean to put it in perspective the one day um, I think it may, maybe it was Super Bowl Sunday um, but he was talking about how when he first got there it wasn't that long ago that they did a hundred and forty something thousand or hundred and fifty thousand or hundred and eighty thousand in one pool how the entire day's racing wouldn't do that. It wasn't that long ago. 
and now they're doing 1.5, 1.4, 1.6. Just, I mean, they're doing five times what they did, and even that's not <laughs> enough. And you say to yourself, man, <laughs> you know, where else can you can you show those kind of gains yet? Um, your partners like just scoff at it and want to move you out and without an alternative. And that's the thing is without an alternative, there's not like, okay, um, you know, you're going to close this track, but we're going to go over here and run. Well, there's, there's no other tracks to run at. Sad. Yeah, it is. And then you wonder, you know, why couldn't that happen to your track? Churchill Downs, it won't happen to because they have the Kentucky Derby. But why couldn't it happen to just about any other track out there? You know, probably not Naira, probably not Churchill, Keeneland. Tell me, outside of those tracks, who's safe? Nobody. Yeah. So I didn't mean to be like Mr. Pessimism uh, at the end of the show tonight, but uh, uh, it's just kind of sad because... I mean, when you're kids, you're always watching those those shows, you know, and at the end, uh, the, the good wins out and the guys who do things the right way wind up rewarded and this and that. And, and, and horse racing is the, the, the perfect example of the guys that do the things the right way and are the upfront guys or that they're not always squashed rewarded. like a bug, as they say. And uh, I think the business, the people in the business, I often have a hard time understanding how insignificant we are to a lot of the the, the people who we depend on, um, our landlords, basically. And uh, it's kind of, uh, you know, it's a sobering thought. Um, but, uh, I mean, it's a great game. It really is a great game. And it's an international game. And now more than ever. I mean, I was watching... Uh, the replays of uh, Golden 60 winning at Hong Kong. And Golden 60 is, is, is getting close to Silent Witness's record of 17 in a row. And they showed a, a video of the race that I was in over there. And, and just like, that's like the pinnacle of what horse racing can be. It can never be like that over here because of all the, the, the advantages that they have. But, it, it does exist in, in some places and I just wish that we could just take some of the, some of the, the, the great things that they do in other places and, and try to, to do it here. And, um, you know, it just, it just feels like, uh, you know, it feels like you're, you're swimming into it, a rip current, you know, like no matter how good of a swimmer you are, if the current's too, too strong. You drown. You drowned. Anyways, well, we have um, we have the Fountain of Youth. It's kind of the uh, the feature this week, and and the Southwest, which <laughs> of course uh, as it goes on. I mean, it's a double derby prep weekend. It was looking like a single derby prep weekend, but those are two major races, and um, you know we'll know a lot more about a bunch of the favorites. After uh, you know Saturday night, I mean, we'll have a a, a greater line on and is uh, is greater honor or greatest honor worthy? Um, 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, is he is he worthy of the hype? And and you know what uh, what what is the status of the guys that run in Arkansas? And and how, how do they you know how does that race stack up? And um, yeah, I mean, no, that's it's some of the big names are, are racing this weekend, so it, it is yeah, it should be weekend. fun. I, I I'm looking forward to it. Hopefully we can uh, we can yeah. make a score we can, somewhere. We can somewhere. duplicate that uh, General George magnificence. Yeah, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes it's better to be lucky than be good. <laughs> they ain't that the truth. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna figure out a way, Barry. I'm gonna figure out a way. That we can paste faces on on. Oh on man, memes. we gotta do that. So we got a good one, a really good one. I just haven't figured it out yet. I was trying before, but I really need like a thirteen year old. I gotta like, like have a, a access like to a a thirteen year old. Like there should be like a thirteen year old, um, like a, an app. Like you can talk to a thirteen year old about like electronics, and they can just. Tell you I'm what pretty, to do I'm with this pretty thing. sure Sabria could do it. Th- I'm, I'm fairly that's, certain because she does it with, with like cat faces on her face and she does stuff on, on her tablet that amaze me sometimes. But uh, yeah, she's seven. seven. How old is she? Yeah, yeah, she's probably old. She'll probably figure it out. Like, I'm going to ask her. See if she can do it. It's so funny though when the kids they'll fix your phone or your iPad or something, and they give you that you look. Dummy, like, what are you, <laughs> you big you know, dummy! Like, like, how do you not know how to do this? You know. Meanwhile, I'm trying to like trying to struggling to I, see I, my I phone. For stuff. Sake. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I gotta, I gotta put the big print on. Otherwise, I can't see anything. And then when the big print's on, it doesn't fit on the right, screen. You gotta properly. scroll over. Yep, these are the problems you have when you're old. And since most of our audience, oh, see, I didn't say that. Besides, most of them Please, know I didn't say that. About. Well, it's just a demographic. I mean, one thing about it, like people said, like Chuck, you're old. I mean, I'm not gonna like. I mean, they're right. I mean, it's the truth. So, I mean, I can't like try to deny it, right? I mean, old truth. is old, and uh, it's just uh, you know, it's just a, it's just a part of the the, the way it is. I mean, we we didn't pick up any new countries this this week, though. Well, we're working on it. You know, I, I sent out an email yeah. blast to the, you know, Singapore area. So we'll see what we come back with. Oh, we did get a we did get a listener. From okay, France. we have a from France. The French, the French. Are Maybe we should talk about soft turf more then. Blanchon. There we go. I was watching a race. Chantilly, right? I was there. watching was that. A, uh, the Trotter race. It was a Trotter oh, race. Oh yeah, riding. that's that's interesting. It looks really uncomfortable. Not that I'm not that I ride horses or anything, but um, yeah, it doesn't look that comfortable. So, 
we will um so we'll be back we next will week. with uh some some wrap-up coverage of the fountain of youth yeah we'll, we'll have the live on the on the course i'll be there somewhere be around uh and make sure make sure your camera's ready for something crazy I'm going to look for our friend. Oh, that guy. <laughs> the TMZ of racing, <laughs> Barry Spears. Yeah, well, when that, when that video shows up on Ridiculousness, then you know it's, it was really good. It's heading that way, by the way. You'll be, you'll be, you'll be rich and famous, and I'll say, I remember that guy. <laughs> he used to do a podcast with me. <laughs> Hey, what is uh, now? So, what you're doing? Uh, are you yes. on the panel for the diversity um, program that uh, the racing biz Absolutely. is putting together? Not on the first one. I think Greg Harbit and uh, Ray Daniels are on the first one, and mm-hmm. there's two more scheduled, and I should be on the second one. Okay, should be, be popping good. up on some uh, podcasts coming up too. I think uh, one this Hopefully, week. Uh, so we're spreading the word. Spreading the word. The, easy on the picks. Easy on the picks. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm not a picks guy. No, but that's good because you know Frank. Frank's a good guy, and uh, he was. He's been on the show before, um, and it's something that needs to be done. That needs to be brought up and talked. Well, that's about. how he he kind of positioned it to me when he when he asked me to 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 do it. Um, they want a more candid type conversation, not the sugar-coated conversation that's been had since last summer. Um, and it's time to revisit, yep. you know, and, and it's good. You know, I, I, I appreciate that, you know, that they're not just letting it go. Yeah. Well, it's something that needs to be brought up time and time and time and time. And well, time yeah, time because there's, there's an audience. There's, there's an expansion you know, opportunities that, that could arise from, from this kind of inclusion and diversity, but you know, you'd never know it if you don't try it. I I just, it it just makes me crazy to think that, that we resisting um, getting into new, if you just looked at it from the business standpoint, okay, (laughs) just the business standpoint, why don't you want to get into new markets and, and, and have, people of color and, and, and Hispanic people and, and uh, you know, other minorities to, to feel more comfortable in the business and, and, and enjoy it because it, it's just, it just, it just makes no sense. You know, like everybody's looking for new markets and, and new, new, new customers and new, uh, um, you know, content, new money. And, and like, we're ignoring all these, these groups. Um, and I'm not saying that everyone's just a racist. No person just, or anything like that it's just you know it's like it, listen it's not that much different than the nfl the nfl has a real problem hiring coaches i mean there's a i think um i think real sports is doing a, a thing on it this week uh talking about you know seven out of 30 coaching positions are african-americans and about 85 percent of the players are african-americans and it just you know some of the guys seem like the white guys get more chances than um you know, then the, the black guys, the black guys get one chance. And if they don't do well, then they're, they're that's it. And yet, you know, morons like Adam Gase wind up getting oh. two shots. So I guess this will be the last one for him. 
But um, no, it's good. I'm happy to have it. And, you know, like I've resisted talking about it with you on this show because I don't want to marginalize you at all in that you're not on here because I'm looking to be diverse. You're on here because I think you're really smart and you're my friend. And I think you have a lot to say and, and, and a great opinion. And, you know, I'm not going to try to, you know, I just thought if you want to speak about it, then, you know, you certainly are always free. Yeah, to speak I mean, there's. So there's definitely a time and a place for it. And, and um, I, I mean, we talked about it this past summer, mostly off off air about how it seemed like some of the um, organizations and, and, and other shows and stuff kind of spoke about it, but kind of like, because they felt like, felt like they had to, it was, it was the thing to do, you know, right. like, it was kind oh, of forced it, it, to yeah. me. That's what it felt like is that they, they felt like, Oh, well, everybody's talking about it. So we got to talk about it too. And you, you really, you know, at least from my perspective as a black man, it gives me the sentiment that are you really doing this because you want to do it? Or are you just doing it because you think that it's going to make you look better or, you know, create some sort of feeling that you care? And that's where the authenticity of the whole thing kind of gets questioned. And doing something like what Frank is putting together is very valid, especially with the positioning and the guests that he's having on. He's not trying to, to fill it with, you know, the, the, the run-of-the-mill everyday people that you see maybe on TV or doing this and doing that more prominent people. He's kind of going outside of the box and giving, you know, the owner's perspective of, of black owners. And then people like uh, Alicia Hughes, who works in the industry for NTRA. And then from my perspective, which is kind of unique where, you know, I've worked in the business a little bit and I also am an avid better and I do a little here and there, but, I don't have any allegiance to anyone in particular other than, you know, going in circles, of course. Of course. Um, but it, I, I think that, that, that helps because you may not get those good opinions from somebody who may or may not be, you know, on TV every day or once a week or doing their other podcasts or intermingled in the game to the point where they don't want to piss somebody off. No doubt. And, and that's, that's, it's not an easy subject to talk about. It's not an easy subject to talk about from, from my shoes in that I, I, I'm not, I can't, um, I've learned a lot listening to the things you've, you've talked about and, and, and some of my other friends, um, who have experienced similar things to you, that you have that, that, you know, I literally you know, we laugh about when I, uh, you know, the cop pulled me over when I was going to Hialeah and like, yeah, white guy driving that car in this neighborhood, <laughs> you don't fit in here, you know, like it was just profiling, but like that was kind of, you know, that doesn't happen to me except in extreme cases and, and, you know, you guys live it. And so it, it's hard for me to like, um, you know, bring it up as a topic other than, you know, to, to let you speak your mind on it and i mean i certainly will give my opinion i, I think that it's it's, it's narrow-minded and it's uh in some ways um 
I mean, there certainly are racist people in this business. There's racist people all over the place. True that. Uh, racist people, sexist people. Uh, I mean, homophobic the worst. people. All <laughs> it's just the of, worst. Yeah, it's 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 all kinds of, uh, and it's the one thing that social media has kind of done is, um, it's given people uh, with extreme views platforms. And even if some of it gets shot down, and even if it gets shouted down, it still gives them a platform. Yeah. And um, I think in racing's case, racing is a sport that has lived in the past, um, but not far enough back, you know, in, in some cases. And uh, there's a lot of uh, a lot of occasions where, um, you know, nepotism has, has been a part of racing for a long time. And it's always kind of been known as an insider's game. And there just haven't been a lot of people of color, uh, Hispanic people or, um, you know, certainly black people or, or and, and for a long time, women. They weren't yeah. allowed in the inner circle. And sure. yeah, it, it, there's been a lot of, you know, great strides made in, in some ways. But by the same token, there's a lot, you know, a lot further to go. And um, I mean, if people are upset because you're talking about this, just talking about it, then you gotta, you know, they should look in the mirror and say to yourself, like, why does this bother you? Like, this is just people expressing their opinions about what their experience is and, you know, wh where they're coming from. I mean, I think that you can't learn about other people's experiences until you hear from them. I mean, I can't live, I can't walk in, in, in someone else. I can't walk in, uh, I mean, I would be a terrible woman if I, if I, you know, like Miss Stoutfire. But, <laughs> I mean, I can't live in the, your, your shoes, you know? And the only way to, to hear about it is to actually listen. And, you know, there's a difference between hearing and listening. Like, you can hear it sometimes, but you don't actually listen. And, and I think that's what racing is really good at in that they'll, They'll hear, oh, like the betters are important. Yeah, okay, yeah, great. And then they'll do like three things that like completely anti better. Yeah, <laughs> because they're hearing it, but they're not listening. You know, they're not uh, saying it's just like white men can't jump. You gotta, you gotta listen to Jimmy. You just can't hear him. No, no, no. It's it's it's, it's so true. And uh, and I'm happy they're doing it. And I, I hopefully, hopefully, the only people that or it doesn't turn out the only people listening are the people that uh, aren't, aren't the people that really need to listen. Yeah, that's that's really the goal, you know, but I think one of the things that really sums up this industry as far as where the industry's been and where they're going is the phrase we've always done it this way. Yeah. And that has to go away. No, you're you're 100% right because everything's different now. Everything's different now. If you look at the just just look at the racing world from the point of view of there's no more Hollywood Park. There's no more Suffolk Downs. There's no more Rockingham Park. There's going to be no more Arlington Park. There's no more Calder. Um, there's no more Bay Meadows. We don't know how long Golden Gate's going to be be there. We don't know uh, like, like what's going to happen um, in Pennsylvania or New Jersey or Delaware or Pimlico. I mean, I know they pass all that bond and you know the, all that stuff. To kind of keep Pimlico going, but I don't know what the status. Actually, it'd be a good question for Frank Vespi. Is, is what's going on with that? I mean, is is there any movement? 
I don't know that. I have no idea. So uh, it's, it's, I mean, Colonial ran, what, four or five days last year. Uh, and they had to close for COVID and they're planning on reopening, yes. But it's just kind of, it's so everything is so much different. I mean, we've been running. We haven't had, you know, filled grandstands for almost a year now. It's a, Everything's different. Nothing's the same. Nothing. And and sometimes, like, like we talked about earlier, like there's just no foresight, and part of that is is, is diversity, is is getting an idea of, um, or just of, different ideas in the room. Yeah, and I think I've used this example before of the the Caribbean Classic. And when they first announced they were going to have the Caribbean Classic at Gulfstream, I said, that's the dumbest idea ever. I have a bunch of horses nobody ever heard of. Half the you know, trainers, mostly, nobody ever heard of them. They're going to bring them mostly jockeys. You know, some of the regular jockeys will ride, but for the most part, there'll be guys that, you know, no one ever heard of. And because I never heard of them, you know. And it's a huge success. I mean, it's been a giant success. Oh, a giant it's success. One of they the get, best days, man. <laughs> they, they get huge crowd of people. I mean, it's amazing. It's a, it's like a it's like a soccer game. They're playing music and noise, and they get those those stupid uh, things. The what do they call them? The vuvuzelas. Right. They got all that, thing. and everybody loved it. And it's like, uh, I mean, they, the the track does really well. The handle's been been like way better than I thought it would be on it. And it was just because I didn't have any. Um, experience with those places, the racing at any of those those places, those countries, and you know, I, I had a closed mind to it. But after one, um, you know, one one day of racing, it's like totally changed my mind. And and I think that's that's the thing is that there's there's things out there um, that can change other people's minds too about a lot of other things and. I mean, I just don't see why we wouldn't want to get every group out there involved and, and, and to make them feel as comfortable as they can. It just it just makes sense. Well, yeah, you want to you want to maximize every revenue stream you could possibly have, especially the way the game is going. And not only that, you know, you see that day, you know, Caribbean the classical day and you, you kind of have to take a step back and think, well, if all these people can show up for this one day, how can we get at least half of these people to show up on a normal Saturday? Yeah. What can we do? How can we get that wasn't the next uh, question, you know? Right. No, no, it's, it's a very, it's very true. And, and why aren't we having one of these, you know, why aren't we scheduling something for, for that crew and that group and, and, and uh, once a month, you know, I'm not saying we have to have the Caribbean class once a month, but why not have have say, hey, you, did you enjoy your time here? Like, why don't you come back out? You know, every third Sunday we're gonna have, uh, you know, we're, we're gonna have, um, you know, Caribbean classic, uh, you know, food or whatever. Right, Just yeah. get them out to the get exactly. out to the track. Exactly. Anything to get you out there. E- even if you hold one race that has that's for, uh, you know, uh, people from the countries that, that participate in those races, you know, like there's so many ideas and so many things you could do and they just don't do them. <laughs> it's really what it comes down to. No. And then that's, and that's just, and it's not just golf stream. It's, it's, it's a lot. No, of, it's everywhere. 
a lot of places. So, no, that'd be good, and, and uh, I'm I'm happy that uh, kind of was kind of announced like today, and it's gonna yeah. be what, Thursday, right? Yeah, the the first one's on Wednesday. I think Wednesday, Wednesday at five, and then the next one's in a couple weeks, and then one more after that. Well, good, and uh, you know we'll we'll of course talk about it, and uh, we'll talk about. Uh, when you go on talk about you know how it went and i'm sure we'll be i'll be i'll be listening for sure and we'll go we'll go listen to that for sure and frank's our guy frank's our maryland guy he's a yes, he is. circle of maryland guy so so uh we gotta support frank indeed all right my man been real as always keeping it real keeping it real real the real deal, holy field. <laughs> there you go. You're a rapper now. <laughs> nah, I'm a plain, plain white rapper. That's right. That works too, man. <laughs> I'm kind of delirious. So, all right, we'll wrap it up. And uh, again, thank you again for your time, Mr. Sniper. And uh, and we'll be talking. All right, appreciate it. Thanks, thanks for having me. Thanks for everyone for listening. See you next week. Hey everyone, welcome to the Going in Circles Big Monday Show. My co-host, Mr. Barry Spears, will be with us in just a minute. My name is Charles Simon. I am the host of the Going in Circles Podcast Network. We have some international racing to talk about. We also have a couple derby preps coming up this weekend. Well, at least, pretty sure the Fountain of Youth is going to be run, but... uh, Hoping that the Southwest can finally be run after a few uh, a few weeks of delays uh, out in Arkansas. Seems like things are, are finally starting to thaw out a little bit. So we have two derby preps coming up this weekend. Not just one. Um, greatest honor will be the headliner at Gulfstream. Uh, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about some other stuff. Uh, as usual, we'll give our... Opinions, hot takes, and whatever else Mr. Spears would like to talk about. We'll be back in just one minute. Hey everyone, I want to talk to you about BRL Equine. BRL Equine is a company that would be considered by most the premier equine supplement company in horse racing. They spent a lot of money, millions, on, on research and development before they put these products out. This is not uh, a fly-by-night organization just tossing some couple things together and, and throwing it out there. The, they use FDA-supervised facilities. What they say is in the products is actually in the products. Nothing illegal, nothing illicit. It's perfectly legal, and it's beneficial for your horse's health. They have a new product called Flexify that's been only uh, out on the market for, I think, about six weeks. And the early returns are great. I know a lot of trainers that have given me feedback, and these are guys that are going to tell me the truth. Um, there's a million supplements out there, a lot of things that people have tried that haven't really been effective. And so far, everyone seems to really believe that Flexify HA is is a is a really excellent uh, supplement to help the horse's joints. Contact my friend Joe Vellante at 
501-601-6880 or get a hold of me at goingincirclespodcast at gmail.com and I will get Joe in touch with you. And uh, if you're lucky, you might even get him for a lunch. But BRL Equine is a really good company and they have some really, really good supplements. And if you're an owner, ask your trainer. If you're a trainer, give Joe a call. Thanks.